Okay, so I'm going to say a word, and as I say the word, I want you to just gauge your emotional reaction. You can uh, react with uh, cheering or groaning or whatever you want, but here is the word I'm going to say, gauge your reaction. Here we go. The word is January. Okay, all right. Okay, lots of reactions out there. Let me just give you my personal take on this. I love January. I love it. I love everything about it. That's not true. I love lots of things about it. Uh, and uh, I, lo I love January because it's a season in my mind, in my life, in the way I uh, approach things. January is a season of fresh starts and new beginnings. It's time to, time to think about your life. It's time to, to get a new year started and, and get some things rolling. And I, I do. I, lo I love, love, love January. And I asked last weekend, how many of you, I asked last weekend, took some time between 2023 and 2024, and you were able to establish some goals and some areas to change. And I would say between 65 and 70% of our church uh, had done that very thing. Now, the 11 o'clock service, you guys were about 90% of you. Give yourselves a hand. 11 o'clock service. Nice job. Not much of a hand for yourselves. You guys should really like yourselves. You should really, you know, but anyway, uh, so we're talking about this January. Uh, we're talking about our, our sermon uh, focus is, here's our logo again. It's, it's called Fix Your Eyes, a very biblical phrase, Fix Your Eyes. And the bottom line is discovering the power of focus. Now, focusing, I think, is an incredibly important skill. By the way, focus is defined as giving concentrated attention. It's, it's the ability to block everything out and give your attention to something specific. Now, now many Americans, I'll give you the top three things, Americans have said they're focusing on in the new year. And number one, uh, more than anything else, Americans have said they're focusing on their finances. They're, they're taking time to say, I got to save some money or budget or, you know, work on some things. And by the way, if you're in that category right there, finances, we have an awesome class here called Financial Peace University, and uh, it's going to actually be getting this year, uh, the week after the Super Bowl. So, uh, unfortunately, Browns fans, you'll not be in the Super Bowl this year. Uh, we won't be, I should say. But uh, we got Super Bowl. We'll be looking at the finances and, and Dave Ramsey's FPU. But the second most often found goal beyond finances was, was fitness, was, was Americans saying, you know what, this is the year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose some weight and firm up and I'm going to get fit. And, and the third, the third most common focus for Americans going into a new year was a relationship to say, I'm going to make my marriage stronger. Or I'm going to find the right person. Or I'm going I'm to forgive someone. All those things are, I think, a good way to begin a year. But my question for you, now next weekend, by the way, we're going we're gonna to literally talk about the power of focusing but today, my question for you is simply this. What if, what if you said finances or fitness or relationships, but you realize that, that you've got the wrong focus, that you're actually focusing on things that, that God would say, hey, there's entirely a whole nother area. I want you to focus on your life. We're going to be looking at our scripture for, for this weekend, which again has that phrase, fix your eyes and we're going to actually see that God is calling us to focus on so much more than finances or fitness or relationships. There's something else that God is saying to focus on. Here's our scripture for the weekend. Uh, Molly read it already. I'm going to read it again to you. Uh, Paul says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. So we fix our eyes not 
on what is seen, not on finances or fitness or relationships, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, such an important thing. What an amazing scripture. I, you know, I, I love this scripture. I think it's so inspiring. The one thing I'll point out to you right away off the top is something that Paul does to, to really heighten our focus. And, and what Paul does is he gives us four pairs of opposites. And by examining the opposites, we can see what he's highlighting in this scripture. For example, the, uh, the first pair of opposites is he talks about things happening on the outward, outwardly and inwardly, on the outside of our bodies, on the inside of us. And outwardly, Paul says, we're, here's again, opposites, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed. Another, another set of opposites, he says, there is light and momentary trouble and an eternal weight of glory. Again, opposite. You can't be more opposite than light and momentary and a weighty and eternal. And then the last one, it's to me, the most interesting. I'm really drawn to the last one, which is there are things that are seen. You can see them with your eyes. And there are things that are unseen. What is seen and what is unseen. And so let's just jump into it right away. Look at this scripture and, and see what Paul's saying. So here's what he says, verse 16. So we don't lose heart. And he goes in the first, here's the first pair of opposites. Let's understand what he's saying. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day with, with our lives. Now think about that. Outwardly, we're wasting away. What does he mean exactly? The, the Greek word used there is uh, diothera, is the Greek word, diothera. And it means this, actually, it means decaying. It means, literally, it means your, your body is, is dying. Paul's saying, on the outside, our, our physical bodies are decaying. They're dying. Here's a, here's a picture of diothera. There it is right there. That's a, it's a leaf that was once alive, but it's in that process of decay. And that's what Paul says is happening. The word can also mean exhausted, frustrated, persecuted. Now, Paul, if you, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to chapter 4, we're in 4, 16 to 18. What you see is Paul paints a picture of just how bad things have been. In fact, in the same chapter, chapter four, a few verses earlier, Paul says this, we, meaning his ministry team, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death. Paul said, we're, we're decaying. Our outer body is, is, is exhausted. We're, we're, we're in pain. We're frustrated. We're persecuted. Hey, how many of you, by the way, have actually had a moment? I'm surprised to ask this question all weekend. How many of you have had a moment when you actually thought your life was about to end? You, you had that moment where you thought, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to die. Twice, twice in my life. Two separate times in my life, I actually thought, okay, this is it. Here's the end. The end is here, and, and this is what's happening. And that's what Paul says. We actually thought we were going to die on the outside. It's awful. We're exhausted. We're frustrated. We're in pain. But, hold on, but inwardly, something else is happening. On the inside, we are being renewed day by day. Now, that's a pretty amazing, amazing thing. Actually, I think what Paul's saying is he's, he prays, in Ephesians chapter three, for something to happen to every one of us. But I think in this verse, he's saying, what I prayed for in Ephesians is actually happening to me. Here's what Paul prays for. I pray that out of his glorious riches, I'll say glorious, you say riches, get ready, here we go. Glorious, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Has that ever happened to you, by the way? 
You went to God in prayer and, and you're outwardly, you're, you're frustrated or you're exhausted or, or you're carrying this, what feels like an incredible weight and you go to God and all of a sudden in that prayer or that worship or that, that moment, strength from God comes to you. Now, Paul says, this is actually happening to us. Look what he says. He says, day by day. He means every day. Every single day, God is renewing us on the inside. I, ho- I hope it's happened to you. I, ho- I hope it happens every day for you, in fact. Actually, remember a time in my life when I, I witnessed someone having this personal renewal by God in a, in a specific moment. Uh, the story I'm telling actually happened in, in the country of Zimbabwe. I was in Zimbabwe. I've been to Africa, by the way, 12 times. Love Africa. Huge, huge, awesome, awesome place. I love going to Africa. But I was in Zimbabwe. We were planning a church uh, in the capital in, in Harare. And we had a church planning team with us. And there was a team uh, on the ground as well that we were working with. And, and one member of, of the Zimbabwe team was a, was a younger girl and she was in the worship team and she's just full of life and fun and, and bubbly, exciting. Here's, that's her right there. There she is. And, uh, and she, she just kind of sang, sang kind of back up to the worship team and whatever. But, but she had a moment. She's coming to the service. The way, that, the way that trip worked was we were in the daytime. We were on college campuses, meeting college students, inviting them to a service that happened every night that week. And I was preaching and we had a worship team and it was, it was a ton of fun. But, but one of the nights she was coming to, to be on the worship team and she had a purse and she had her Bible and she she was walking to get a bus to come to church. And while she's walking along the side of the road, a car pulled up beside her. She didn't know what was happening. And the car door opened and someone reached out and they grabbed her purse. They grabbed her purse. They pulled it in the car. They closed the door, but her purse was still around her arm. And she started yelling and she started, stop, you know, stop, wait. And the car took off and the car actually drug her on the ground until she let go of her purse and the strap of her purse. And, and then it was gone forever. And so she came to church and she's upset. She'd been crying. She was physically in pain. She actually, she actually showed me her arm and, and, and the blood that she'd had. This is her kind of showing me her arm and giving me the, you know, what happened to her. And she's really upset. And I said, I said, I'm surprised that you came. I'm surprised you're here. And she said, honestly, I didn't want to come. I didn't want to come to church. I just wanted to go home and I wanted to be with my parents and I feel scared and I don't feel safe. But I watched her that night and she bravely got up and she's up there leading worship and doing her thing. And and I actually, I saw her and I grabbed my phone and I got this video because I could see God working inside of her. Just, just look at her. She's, she's kind of in the back, back, back there. She's, she's part of that worship team. And, and, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom in here for a second. And you can just see as she's worshiping, as she's lifting God up. God is working inside of her. And all of a sudden, her pain and and all that had happened was gone. And she was renewed by the Holy Spirit in that moment. Say amen to that, by the way. That's that's an awesome thing. Has it happened to you? Is it part of your life? Is Is it a regular thing? Because Paul says day by day. Literally, Paul says every day, there's a strengthening and renewing that God is bringing to us. Here's your first fill in, by the way. Fill in number one. This is from my heart to you. God longs to daily renew our inner strength. Think about that. God longs to. God wants to. God would love to daily renew our inner strength, filling us with peace, joy, and my favorite one, patient endurance. The ability to keep going, keep seeking after God. But you know what? The thing about renewal that I want you to think about for a second is the idea that it doesn't happen automatically. It's not like every, for every person who's in Christ at 10 a.m. every day, you're like, oh, one minute until I'm renewed. Oh, you know, it doesn't happen that way. It's not an automatic thing every day. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. You have to seek it out. 
Just like that young lady in that story, she had to get up there and she had to begin worshiping. And as she began to worship, the Holy Spirit worked in her life. Are you? Are you seeking God daily? Because he longs to daily renew you and bring you strength and joy and peace. Now let's go on to the next verse, verse 17. Paul says this, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. There again, you see the contrast. It's light. We have trouble. We have affliction. It's light and momentary. It's not bad. It's not hard. It's light. It's momentary. This trouble is preparing us for what Paul calls an eternal weight of glory. Let me say this and get excited about it. If you're in Christ, God is working to eventually, after your death, transform you that you will be in a glorious resurrected body. Say amen to that. There's, there's a weight of glory coming to you that you can't, you can't even imagine yourself in the future after you die and the glory that will be happening from God to you. An eternal weight of glory, but, he's, but it's, it's the first. Before that, you know, there's this thing called light and momentary affliction. Question for you, how, how light and momentary was Paul's affliction. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't actually know if Paul is, when he writes that, light and momentary, if he's writing it uh, and, and smiling like, ha ha, I'm calling it light and momentary. I'm not sure if the, if the Corinthians read this and they laugh like, Paul, you're so funny. It's not light. It was a momentary, right? Or maybe for Paul in his exalted state where he was, he actually looked at what had happened to him and he said, you know what? No big deal. Light and momentary. So what did happen to the Apostle Paul. We're going we're to jump ahead a few chapters. Same book, 2 Corinthians, and Paul describes it. Here's what I have been through in my life sharing about Christ. Here's what he says. I have worked much harder, Paul says. Been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Now let's stop right there. Think about that for a second. 40 lashes minus one. Why, why would it say that? That's kind of bizarre, right? So here's what we understand. 40 lashes is a death sentence. No one could be lashed with a whip 40 times and live. So 40 times minus one means he was sentenced to be beaten to within one inch of his life and then stop. Just imagine it for a second. Imagine it's you. Imagine that, that, that the authorities are saying, you've got to stop preaching about Jesus and to close your mouth we're going to give you 39 lashes. They take you and you know, your back is exposed. Your hands are tied with ropes and you're probably laying down on the ground and, and you hear it. You hear that, that whip cracking. And then that first, just imagine it, the first lash coming across your bare skin. Bam! Paul was lashed 39 times. Five separate occasions. It's as if every lash was saying, stop preaching about Jesus. And Paul says, beat me all you want. You cannot shut my mouth. Imagine if the apostle Paul walked out right now. If, if mysteriously he was here and he walked out in his traditional clothing, by the way, archaeologists think based on some mosaics of Paul, archaeologists believe, uh, histori historians believe Paul was about 5'2", so I would tower over him if he walked out right now. But anyway, just imagine it. The Apostle Paul walks out right now and just imagine he walks up, he's, he's looking at you, right? And he, he just pulls down his robe to his back and you saw his back. 
You saw his back where he was lashed 39 times, times five. You would not see an inch of his back or his arms that were not covered in scars. Light and momentary affliction. He goes on. That's not even the end of the scripture. Five times I was given 39 lashes, 40 lashes minus one. Here it is. Three times I was beaten with rods. Imagine that. That's also a death sentence in his world, being beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones so he would die. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Is that light and momentary affliction? Is that, is that something he's like, yeah, I had a tough day a couple of times. No big deal. No, this is serious. Ser- serious things have happened, the apostle Paul, but he says some things about it to help us. Now, the word we're talking about is the word affliction. Probably a better word of that Greek word. The Greek word is the word thipsis, is the Greek word. And probably a better translation is the word trouble. It's more, it's more simple than just affliction. It's trouble. You could also translate the word pain, suffering, could all be in there. But you need to understand from what Paul's saying to us today, trouble is a part of life. In fact, the book of Job says it like this. Man or women, mankind, is born to trouble. As surely as sparks fly upward. Imagine you're in a culture and you have a fire every day, every night. You watch the sparks. It's known. Heat rises, sparks go up, just like you're born to trouble in your life. How about this scripture? Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. It'd be kind of cool if it stopped right there, wouldn't it? If, you just said, if it just said, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. And you're like, oh, because God's going to rescue me. Is that why? I'm not going to worry because God's going to show up. No, 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 no. That's not why. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. You got to come to the realization that life means trouble. Being alive means you're going to have pain. You're going to have stress. You're going to have suffering. And, and you might get to a point where it feels like, okay, it's light. It's momentary. But life contains hard days, hard times. Now, two people this weekend, this is exciting, actually. Two couples this weekend gave me the news. I'm going to say it. Maybe you could cheer for this that they are expecting a baby. Give, give, give a little hand, right? And I immediately, as their pastor, I immediately, I said this and I thought something different. Here's what I said, congratulations. And I thought, gonna be tough. <laughs> you know, you know, you know it's, kids are awesome. Thank you for the, the whistling out there. Right, that was fantastic. Uh, right, kids are great, but kids are trouble, you know, at the, at the same time. In fact, carrying a baby, you know, it's, it's something that, that is in itself a, a biblical metaphor. That, that it's like, like childbirth. It, it has pain, but it brings brand new life. And it's awesome. Awesome to see young couples having babies. Be careful, it might be something in the water here. I'm not sure, you know, what's going on. But, uh, but anyway, it's a great thing, but it's going to be hard. There's going to be trouble. You know, Jesus says it again about, about trouble another place. He's, he says this, John 16. I've told you these things that in me, you may have peace. Here's the truth. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Something I'd love to have you understand today is that, you know what, you're going to have stress. You're going to have pain. You're going to have hard times. Th- things, things are going to affect your life. But I want you to see it. Paul wants you to see it in a very specific way. Here's what he says. This light and momentary trouble is preparing us. That's how you see it. That's how you're called to view it, is that, you know what? The hard times, the stress, the anxiety, the troubles, everything happening is a preparation for you in your life. 
you know, this weekend, I'm, I'm uh, kind of privately celebrating. Today is uh, the 12th anniversary of, of me being elected senior pastor of this church. 12 years, 12 years I've been able to, uh, you know, to, to be here and to lead and see the church grow and, you know, see us pay off our mortgage and all kinds of great things that God has done. We've seen, we've seen uh, baptism after baptism and God working and God moving. And, and, but I know, I know that there have been hard times. I know there have been times for you and for me over those 12 years that, that you've struggled. There's been lots and lots of funerals and people pass and we went through COVID and all kinds of things. But I can confidently say to you, I can look at the stress and the trouble simply as preparation. That God is preparing me for the work that needs to be done here. In the same way, Paul is saying, you should view your trouble in this very specific way. View your affliction like this. God is very simply preparing you for things that are gonna happen in the future and you're not yet ready. You're not ready for it. You're not ready to step into it. Here's, here's fill in number two. We will all experience, every one of us, stress, struggles, and suffering. We should view our trouble as preparation for the future God has planned on earth and into eternity as well. And when you have trouble, you can smile. You can smile, you can receive God's peace, and you can say, you know what? I was warned about this. It's not gonna derail me. It's gonna prepare me for what God has planned for me and for my future as well. And then Paul goes on. This is actually verse 18 is where it gets really interesting in this passage because it's, it's interesting to see how God wants to bring renewal and good to see trouble as preparation. But now it gets kind of mysterious in what Paul's saying. So we fix our eyes. He, he says it, I, I think, with intensity. We So because we know trouble is preparation, we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, when I look at verse 18, I see two different things. One of them is, is easy to see. You look at it and you get it right away. Okay, I get it. The second thing that I see in verse 18 is, is complex and spiritual. And you're not quite sure exactly what it means. The first thing that I see that's sort of simple off the top is, is as human beings, we tend to focus on things that are temporary. Let me say it again. As human beings, we tend to focus on temporary pleasures or temporary struggles that really don't matter that much. Things that aren't that important often grab our attention and, and grab our time. You know, something happened to me in uh, January of 1986. Something kind of profound and unfortunately life-changing for me. It was January Sunday afternoon and my dad said to me, hey, uh, get your coat. We're going to go see your grandparents. I was in eighth grade. We're going to go see your grandparents. So we drove across Columbus over to Cook Road to my grandparents' house, and we walked in, and, and my grandpa was sitting in his chair, and he's watching a playoff game, Browns versus the Jets. I grabbed a big pillow they had set down by the fireplace, and I began watching. I like football, but I didn't have, I didn't have an NFL team. I, I, I didn't have a team I cheered for, rooted for. I had no allegiance to any NFL team. And as I sat there on the floor watching a man, a warrior, whisper his name, my heart was grabbed. I was like, man, I, I, the, the, the Browns, they're like going to lose. Then they win. And, and then the next week I watched the next playoff game and, and I was more. And you know what you find out when you begin to live and die, the Cleveland Browns, you die a lot. There's the drive. There's the fumble. I got to live it all as a young man. And then there's yesterday. This morning at church, um, you know, I did say this at nine o'clock service. 
C.J. Stroud can't beat Michigan, but he can sure beat the Cleveland Browns. A couple was leaving this morning, and they were like, hey, just so you know, we're visiting from Houston. Thank you for C.J. That's what he said. That's what he said. You know, that, you know what? Uh, NFL games, sorry, everyone. They're temporary, right? They're temporary. But you can get so wrapped up in it. You can, get, you can get so obsessed with how your team is doing. Temporary pleasure, temporary pain, and it just goes away. How is this you? Are you in this, are you in this boat that you, you let temporary pleasures or temporary frustrations consume you, overwhelm you, and don't focus on those unseen, eternal things? that this passage is pointing to. Here's fill in number three. See, this is you. See, this fits your life. Short-term, temporary trouble and pleasure can cloud our minds. We must push past them to fix our eyes on the truly important things which have eternal value. How often do I, how often do you get caught up Short-term, temporary. What am I gonna have for lunch? Oh, I don't wanna go to that restaurant. No, I don't want that. No, no, I wasn't, stop. These are temporary short-term things that should never be your focus. Look at the verse again. We fix our eyes. Now, Paul could have said, hey, focus on, but I think much more dramatic to say, we fix our eyes. It means, it means look away from something and focus. This is what Paul says. Let the mystery of this just kind of come over you. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, like I said before, finances, relationships, our sports teams. No, not those things. Don't fix your eyes on what you can see. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. What what is that? What's happening in the unseen world? What are the unseen things that this passage is screaming at you? Focus on the unseen things. Just ask yourself right now, what is it? What is happening in the unseen world that I should be focusing on? Let me tell you, I, I, I I got five. I could probably have 100 but I got five. Right off the bat, I got five things. Five things that are unseen, but should be a focus for you. And here's number one. Number one of the five unseen things, very simply, is this. The impact of your example on others. Think about that. I promise you, your life has an impact. The words you say and how you live is affecting other people. Number one, right away, I'll tell you this. It's affecting strangers. If you're in church today, if you're, if you're here present, not watching online, the way you worshiped in our worship time actually affected everyone around you. The people in my section over there, man, they were worshiping their hearts out. Nice job, you guys, right? But if you were here in church and you're like, yeah, I'm not that interested. Let me check out my phone. That example affected the people sitting around you when you're kind of like, yeah, they're going crazy up there, but I don't care. I don't care that much, right? Your example, but much more important than people standing around you in worship, the way you live impacts, listen, impacts your family. If you're a child in a home, the way you live impacts your parents, I promise. If you've got children in your home, the way, the way you live impacts your children. You can't stop it. It's positive or it's negative, but it is impacting everyone around you. You know, if you, if you go in my office, if you happen to walk in there, I a desk in my office, and behind my desk, what you'll see is, is just pictures. I've got, I've got tons and tons of pictures of, of my family and my kids and my parents, and then, and then people give me pictures, like on a mission trip or whatever, they'll give me a picture, and there's pictures, you know, of me baptizing people in Africa and all kinds of great stuff happening. But one of the pictures, I was actually writing this point on my computer, the impact your example has on others, and I actually looked over instinctively, and I looked at a picture uh, right, right there on my desk. And the picture is my dad. Picture is my dad. My dad in this picture is 
uh, about 10 years younger than I am right now, maybe 12 years younger than I am right now, which is wild for me to think about. And I was there when that picture was taken. That's in the Philippines. My dad was a missionary in the Philippines. And let me give you the backstory of that picture. My parents were on that boat. I was on that boat. And we were, we were going to, to visit someone, a pastor on this island, the island of Samal. And, we, and we, the boat lands and we jump off the boat. My dad's got his Bible. He's right there. And because we arrived there going to see someone, a little crowd formed right there of beautiful Filipino people. They're like, hey, there's a boat. What's happening? White people, what's going on? You know, and they all came out, right? And so my dad, my dad was going to someone's house, but he immediately changed plans. And he's like, wait a minute, there's 25 people here. It's time to preach. And my dad opens his Bible. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can, if I can imitate this, his move here. Here he is. Look at, look at him. Bible left hand pointing with his right hand, foot on the rock. Where's my rock? Right, right. He's in this place and I remember it. And you know, because my dad, either led by the spirit or led by his instincts to preach, people accepted Christ on that beach that day. Say amen, right? That's an example. That's an example for my life to think about him in that moment. Just, hey, he saw a crowd, boom, he's preaching. He's bringing it because people are here. I will bring a message. We had to go back the next weekend to baptize people on that beach. What's your example? How do your words, how do your actions in an unseen way affect all those people in your life? Number one of five, the impact your example has on others. The second unseen thing, this is a pretty important one. The second unseen thing I'd point you to is this. Pain, suffering, grief, and private battles other people are experiencing. If you're unaware of this, then you may not know that almost everyone you see in church, in a grocery store, in a restaurant, almost everyone you see, probably 80 to 90% of them are fighting a private battle that you have no idea about. They're smiling at you, but on the inside, they're suffering. They're grieving because someone they love has died or they've got a private battle that they're fighting. And if you're unaware of that unseen thing of their grief and their suffering and their pain, then you're unable to help them as God would call you to. I remember uh, right here in church in one of my 12 years as a senior pastor, early on actually, there's a new family started coming to nine o'clock service, young family. And uh, the dad of that family was kind of charismatic and he had a certain energy about him. And I was kind of drawn to him. And, and uh, we talk after church. And one day I was like, hey, let's go to lunch. And you know, let's, go, let's go hang out. I want to get to know you better. He's like, great. We made an appointment, went to lunch and we had brisket tacos. Praise God for brisket tacos. Um, but he told me at that lunch, he had stage four cancer. He already heard from a doctor, he's a young man. He'd argued from a doctor that he was not going to live. I thought, I thought about his young wife, and I thought about his young kids, and I could not imagine. I'm having lunch with this person, and he's dying, and I had no idea. He had a private battle. He was fighting that no one. He told me stories about going through chemo and pulling the car over to puke on the way home and, and just got into his life, but I had no idea. Another example, very similar example, actually, was just a much older man I met in church again, new to the church, energetic, enthusiastic, and we talked after the service in my office, and I said, let me know some things about you. He said, well, one of the things you should probably know about me is, unfortunately, I've been diagnosed with uh, congestive heart failure, and I could actually die at any moment. I could actually, I could die here in your office. I could die at any time. At any moment, I could have that, that, that heart attack that would take my life. I had no idea. He was fighting this personal battle, and it wasn't long after that he actually did pass away from that very condition of congestive heart failure. You know, everyone in this room, most of you, 80% of you or more, are fighting a private battle that no one knows about. You're in pain. You're suffering. You're grieving. There are things in your life you don't know what to do or how to deal with. And let me just tell you, number one, God loves you, and God is here with you. 
And if you can become attuned to other people's pain, you can assist them and help them as God directs you in ways that you need to step in and help others. Your example, number one, the pain of others, number two. But what about this? What about this phrase, the spiritual realm? You know, in the book of Ephesians, five times, Paul uses the word, the spiritual realm, or sometimes translated a heavenly realm. It gives an interesting idea. It means we're, right now we live in a physical realm, but around us, there's a heavenly realm. There's, a, there's a, a spiritual realm all around us. And this is something unseen you should focus on. Look at what Paul says. Ephesians 1.3, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in a heavenly, a spiritual realm. Listen, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You don't see it, you don't know it, but you've been blessed. Just, just say out loud, I am blessed, say it. Blessed. You're blessed, you are blessed in a spiritual realm in ways you never imagined. And in that spiritual realm, there are things for you, blessings for you. First of all, salvation is the number one blessing. That's the blessing of peace, the blessing of joy, the blessing of endurance. They're right there for you in a spiritual realm. You gotta learn, how do I reach in to a spiritual realm to get from God what I need for right now? Number one is your example. Number two, the pain of others. Number three, spiritual blessings in a heavenly realm here for you. How about number four? Listen to me. Do not ignore number four. You have, in a spiritual realm, you have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, who is bent on your destruction. Now, let me show it to you. This is Ephesians chapter six. Here's what Paul says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. If you forget about that, life doesn't make sense. Why is my life so hard? Why is there so much opposition? Why are things coming at me? Well, here's why. You have a spiritual enemy. If you're, if you're married, the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. If you have children, the enemy is looking to destroy the lives of your children. You're called to battle. Put on the full armor of God to step up, to step in because you have an unseen enemy working against you in ways you would not imagine. You guys resist him. The Bible's clear again and again and again. Resist him, stand firm, resist the devil with your life. Now, maybe you don't believe in the devil. That's okay. He believes in you and he's coming after you. You have, you have unseen blessings and you have an unseen enemy. And how about number five? Let me review again. Your example, number one, the pain of others, number two. Spiritual blessings, number three. Spiritual enemy, number four. And number five, unseen thing. I want you to see it. Here's what's unseen. The mission that God has given us to be his witnesses and help others come to know him. Did you forget about this? If you're in Christ, you have a mission. You're called to be a witness. You're called to tell others about what God has done in your life. You're called to make disciples. At our church, Spring Hills, we, our vision is another way of saying make disciples. It's building generations for Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to as a mission. And the mission we have is compelling. And God is saying, don't lose sight of the mission. It's unseen, but it's real. You can't look at someone and be like, oh, I see your mission. It's written all over your face. No, you can't. It's an unseen thing. It is a strong and compelling mission. That's why, that's why we're beginning this, this awesome ministry on the east end of Newark, again called Turning Point. Turning Point, a, a Spring Hills ministry led by Pastor Trey, going to be down there right across the street from the Salvation Army at Newark Faith Church every Sunday night at six o'clock. And it's going to be a time to preach the, the gospel and see people come to Christ. We have a mission. You know, actually, what, whatever you're doing, the mission is still there. You know, I was thinking about this this morning when I was driving to church and thinking about this point of this sermon. 
And I remembered uh, a story. You know, my, my dad uh, eventually uh, had Alzheimer's and after some time of struggling with dementia, uh, he went to a, a veteran's home uh, here in Ohio and eventually he was moved to the hospice wing because we knew he was dying. So all my family came together and we're all there in the hospice wing of that, of that veteran's home, nursing home. And, and we're there and, and my dad just slowly, slowly, his, his life is leaving. But, but across the hall from my dad was another man in the hospice wing, also dying. But this man was all alone. No wife, no children, no family. And he's laying in that hospice bed all alone, all by himself. And we're going into my dad's room and out of my dad's room. And my wife's looking in this room and she's seeing a man dying all alone. And my wife said to me, she said, do you, do you, think he's, you think he's dying by himself? I said, yeah, babe, I think that's what's happening. And she's like, well, you got to go in there. I was like, why? And she's like, you got to go find out if he knows Jesus. You got, you got to go. And I was like, I, I don't think I have to. She's like, I think you do. And I think you got to go in there. So I grabbed Dan, my, my brother, Pastor Dan here at Spring Hills, grabbed my brother. I'm like, hey, we're going to go find out if this guy knows Jesus. And Dan's like, all right. So we walk in to go see this guy. And I said, excuse me, sir, can I, can I talk to you for a moment? And he looks at me like this. He's laying in bed. And he said, no. I was like, well, we're just curious uh, about your condition and about your spiritual condition. And he said, go away, get out. And so I'm like, okay, we turn around and go back. And Tracy said, what happened? And I said, well, I went in and he doesn't want to talk to us. And she said, that's not an option. And so my wife grabs Brittany, uh, my sister-in-law, our sister-in-law. She grabs Brittany and my wife and Brittany walk in. And Dan and I are like, good luck. And they walk in, sweet, you know, sweet ladies, they walk in. And before I know it, this man is praying to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I got a little hand for that, right? And even though, even though on this side of the room, on this side, there's my dad laying there, dying in a bed. There's my wife, there's my sister-in-law, not Dan and I, going in and leading someone to Christ. Because you know what? We have a mission from God. Say amen. Now, here's the thing I want you to see. Last one. Fill in number four. Last one. The very last, last thing to, to focus on for this message, number four, very simply is this. All those in Christ must develop the ability to focus on the unseen spiritual world. You have an enemy. You have spiritual blessings waiting for you. And you have a mission that God is calling you to with your life. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back. Come on back, praise team. We're going to end our service uh, by singing one of my favorite songs, uh, In Christ Alone. And that song, In Christ Alone, is really how all these things are accomplished. You, you can't do it. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't, you can't remake your example in your own strength. You can't see the pain and suffering of others in your own strength. You can't grab spiritual blessings from a spiritual realm in your own strength. You can't fight the enemy in your own strength. And you can't live out the mission in your own strength. It's through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that you live these things out. So if you're here today, right now, and you're, and you're in Christ... I'd like you to think about this sermon. How does it apply to your life? How might you apply these words to your life and how you're living? So just bow your heads if you would. But if you're here and, and you're not in Christ, and you just say, you know, Tom, I'm, I'm not a spiritual person. I, I, I don't know God. I don't have a relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. Why not today? Why not today? Why, why, why not today be the day for you to accept Christ and begin living a spiritual life? And here's the question. Are you ready to obey Christ with your life? Are you ready to live God's way? Are you ready to, to do what God is calling you to do? And if that's the case, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And as I pray this prayer, I'm gonna ask you, I'll pray out loud, you pray quietly. And by praying, you're inviting Christ to come into your life and to change you. The prayer goes like this. Just if you're ready to obey Christ, pray this prayer right now. You'll be baptized next weekend. 
and begin this amazing life that God has for you. But just pray this prayer very simply. I'll pray out loud. You pray quietly. Just say this. Father God, I thank you for today. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've committed sins. But I ask you to forgive me. And Jesus Christ, I know you died for me and rose again. Come into my life. I give my life to you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I am yours. Jesus commands